Welcome to the HB Media Minute, a podcast from Haynes and Boone that focuses on legal trends impacting the media and entertainment industry, intellectual property, and First Amendment law. I'm Nathan Koppel, Director of Media Relations for Haynes Boone, and today's topic is drone journalism. We're going to look at the aftermath of a recent federal court ruling that struck down Texas's restrictive drone laws on First Amendment grounds. The ruling comes amid the surging popularity of drones, which are used increasingly both by the media and individual journalists. Today's guest, Haynes Boone Associate Michael Lambert, will provide an overview of drone use by the media, and he'll analyze how the legal landscape has changed after the recent federal court ruling in a case called National Press Photographers Association versus McCraw. Michael's based in Austin and is a member of Haynes Boone's intellectual property practice. His practice focuses on media, entertainment, IP, and First Amendment litigation. As usual, before we get started, our disclaimer, this podcast is for informational purposes only, is not intended to be legal advice, and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The topics we discuss are subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. Michael, welcome aboard. Thank you, Nathan. This is going to be a really great conversation. Yeah, I'm glad you're joining. So um, I'd like to start by by having you give us a little background on drones. I'm sure everyone listening has seen them in the sky from time to time, but I'm curious, how are they operated? So uh, drones, which are also known as unmanned aerial vehicles or UAVs, you may have seen that those words. Um, so they look like ten, tiny helicopters. And they typically have at least four propellers and between two and four blades on each of those propellers. And they can be powered by gas or electricity. You know, and a pilot will operate that drone remotely with a controller that can guide the movements of the drone. And then he also can use um, controls on there to actually take photographs, audio and video um, through the drone. You know, one thing that's interesting to know that like if a drone is actually lost in the air or the battery runs low, um, they're typically equipped with the technology that activates and sends the drones actually back to the pilot, which is really interesting. No, that's, that's wild. Have you ever used one, Michael? I actually have not. I was part of a, of a class and we were supposed to at the end of the course and something happened with a person's drone. So I was never able to use, um, use one myself. Unfortunately, I've obviously seen them and seen them been controlled, but I haven't had the opportunity. So something to yeah. look forward to. Yeah, they look like fun. Well, how are the how are drones used in news gathering? Has it become a, a more common feature of the, the news gathering landscape? You know, it really has, especially over the past 10 years, but in particular the past five years, you know, drones have been used by a variety of media outlets and also individual journalists to cover the news. And, you know, you really may not realize it when you're watching the news, but a lot of the visual news that we consume these days has been captured by drones. You know, national news outlets such as CNN, NBC, um, CBS, and then also their local television stations around the country will use the photographs and the video that are taken by drones in their morning and nightly news programs every day. Uh, you know, and all, but also online media outlets and freelance journalists will routine, routinely uh, use their drones to tell their stories. And you know, there are many reasons why that this is such a great um, opportunity for journalists to use drones. You know, because there are many advantages over traditional news gathering techniques. You know, they allow um, for more efficient, um, the ability to more efficiently cover breaking news, such as fires, hurricanes, and the other type of natural disasters. 
that, as you can imagine, are really difficult to access, especially in the moments right after the event occurs. You know, and journalists, drones can go where journalists can't, right? And they can be used to capture images and videos that are far more intimate and really more engaging than those that are captured on the ground. But really, most importantly, this is the most important part, I think, about drones and journalism, that they're a lot safer and cheaper, you know, than their traditional ways of gathering news by the air, which has been by helicopters or airplanes or even hot air balloons. And, you know, and unlike those modes, um, you know, drones can be flown at a fraction of the cost, right? So buying, maintaining and fueling, which is, you know, very important these days, you know, helicopters or airplanes is exponentially more expensive than it would be um, the maintenance that's required for a drone, you know, and they're much safer because they're unmanned, right? You don't have to actually put somebody in the sky with the drone. So their safety is another advantage. So there are a lot of great reasons why, besides just, you know, wonderful, beautiful news coverage that, um, you know, the, the news, news organizations are increasingly using drones um, for news gathering. Yeah, you often hear about the phrase bird's eye view and drones. I mean, they really provide a bird's eye view. It's hard to imagine a story you can think from the war in Ukraine on down that that hasn't featured some drone use along the way. Well, how how are they regulated? Is it is it just sort of could anyone just start operating a drone, or are there rules uh, that govern the use of them? Yeah, the biggest thing you need to know is that drones are primarily regulated by the Federal Aviation Administration. Um, You know, they have a a large amount of federal regulations, you know, so to fly a drone, you must actually apply for a drone license with the FAA and follow their regulations, which we'll discuss a little bit later, I think. Um, But, you know, and even though the FAA has exclusive jurisdiction to regulate the airspace nationally, you know, many states have enacted their own drone, drone laws. Some of them are quite broad and some of them are actually really narrow that may prohibit or limit, you know, certain types of drone flights um, within those state borders. You know, so Texas, for example, in 2013, um, they're one of the first states to enact a drone law. And they enacted one that was, you know, very restrictive that imposed both criminal and civil penalties for using drones for certain purposes and for flying them in certain areas or using them to capture certain images um, in certain types of property. You know, for example, the law, the Texas law only permitted flights for limited purposes, such as education, military, law enforcement, engineering, or other quote unquote commercial purposes. Hmm. And the law didn't expressly allow the use of drones for news gathering. You know, and the Texas drone law specifically prohibited flights over specific types of property including correctional facilities, infrastructure, critical infrastructure, oil and gas pipelines, and sports venues. Hmm. And, you know, one of the broadest provisions of the law that caused a lot of problems was that it prohibited the use of drones to capture any images of an individual or privately owned property with what the law defined as the intent to conduct surveillance on the individual or property which as you can imagine, is very hard to figure out what exactly that means. Um, you know, what exactly it means to conduct surveillance and exactly how that law would be violated if you are taking images of individuals I mean, or their property. Th- those rules are so sweeping, Michael, I would assume that, that news organizations just decided, forget it. I'm not, I'm not even gonna try to venture into those, those waters with, and use drones. You know, they really did. Unfortunately, it had that impact. You know, it really chilled news gathering 
in Texas by leaving them with two choices, right? Either you use these drones for news gathering, but you run the risk of violating the law. And remember, it's criminal and civil penalties, which makes mm-hmm. it, you know, um, you know, extra risky. Yeah. Or you just stop using drones altogether, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because of the uncertainty and, you know, news organizations generally have an aversion to risk for many reasons, you know, they chose the latter option and ceased using drones um, for news coverage in the state. I mean, the Dallas Morning News, just as one example, um, they enacted just a strict policy against using the drones in their news coverage um, because of the law. And, you know, there have been some examples of, um, of, of journalists getting in trouble for using drones um, in Texas. Um, in 2018, there was a video journalist for the San Antonio Express News uh, and she was stopped by authorities when she was using a drone to report on an arson fire at an apartment complex. You know, and the police warned her at the time, they you know, hey, you can face criminal penalties if you continue using your drone or if you use this footage that you just took in um, in the news coverage. So it definitely had a chilling effect overall on individual journalists and news organizations. Well, so you, you've done a really nice job of sort of giving us the landscape um, in in advance of this recent ruling in National Press Photographers Association versus Macrosso. Tell us what happened in that case. So in 2019, the National Press Association and a a journalist, they filed a constitutional challenge against this law that we've been talking about. And they filed it in the Western District of Texas, which is the federal court um, in the Austin area of Texas. Mm -hmm. And they argue that the drone law violated their First Amendment free speech rights and their right to gather news. Their main argument was that the law was an unconstitutional content-based restriction because it drew lines based on the content of the images captured, also drew lines on the types of people that were allowed to actually fly the drones and for what actual purposes they could be flown. You know, and the plaintiffs also claim the laws were unconstitutionally vague and overbroad because of the terms that we've discussed so far. Um, you know, in Texas, on the other hand, on the defendants, they argue that the law was constitutional um, to further their interest and their interests that they that they um, purported to assert were uh, to preserve safety and privacy. Yeah. So you. Thanks for laying out both sides, Michael. How did the court resolve those, the, that legal divide? Yeah, so in late March of 2022, uh, Judge Robert Pittman, uh, he granted the journalism journalist's um, motion for summary judgment and at that point held that the drone law was unconstitutional under the First Amendment. You know, the, the court went through a few steps of analysis. It, the court, court first determined that the actual process of capturing photographs and videos using a drone has, quote, just as much protection under the First Amendment as the images themselves, which you wouldn't think would be very controversial. But sometimes it's argued that, you know, the that flying drones and and capturing them for news gathering purposes isn't covered under the free speech clause. Mm -hmm. The court then determined that the law unconstitutionally prohibited First Amendment protected activities based on the identity of the drone operator drone operators and the subjects of those photography. You know, the judge wrote that the law burdened more speech than necessary by prohibiting such a broad swath of drone uses, even though the state had a variety of other ways to protect those interests that we discussed, those interests of privacy and safety in Texas. 
Mm-hmm. And the, the court also said that the law was unconstitutionally vague because its language, such as the undefined terms like surveillance and commercial purposes, you know, that that chilled speech, speech because journalists were unable to figure out whether they'd be exposed to criminal or civil liability. Well, I would think news organizations must have loved the ruling. It's a um, huge, huge victory for uh, drone use. Absolutely. You know, one caveat that I I must say is that the decision has been appealed um, to the Fifth Mm -hmm. Circuit Court of Appeals. So the the story is not fully fully written. Um, We'll wait for, for that decision. But, you know, if the decision does stand and the Texas legislature does not enact a new drone law because, you know, they always could enact a new drone law. Um, if that if that doesn't occur, you know, journalists in Texas will be able to fly these drones again without worrying about the risk of violating, you know, this law. But I really want to warn everybody out there that this doesn't mean that a journalist should pick up a drone right now and fly it tomorrow. Because as we mentioned earlier, there are other regulations, especially regulations from the FAA, you know, that they should consider. And also there's also like journalism and ethics that they, that should be under consideration. Do you, I mean, do you think simply the fact that drones now have been around, you know, quite a bit longer, there's more familiarity with them than when this Texas law was passed may, might make the Texas legislature and, and the fifth circuit more comfortable um, with a, with giving drone users sort of broader latitude to do. Yeah, I, I think so. I think if the legislature would try to enact a new drone law, if anything, they may actually carve out and allow it for journalism purposes. I, you know, I think, you know, in 2013, right, it's almost 10 years ago, there was a lot more fear of what these, these drones would, how they would interfere with society. And we've seen that they really haven't. And there there is much more you know, responsibility. And, you know, in par- a part of that is the FAA has stepped up and they have enacted regulations that, like like I said, must be followed. Whereas in, in 2013, they it wasn't, there were no regulations in place. So it was sort of the Wild West as far as, as far as, you know, drone use. And now, you know, the FAA has, you know, has kind of buckled down. And I would think that legislatures in the Fifth Circuit would feel more comfortable now knowing that there are these FAA regulations in place. And just to underscore that point, as you said, Michael, it's not like with this ruling, and, and I realize it's on appeal, that there aren't any ground rules that, that, that restrict the use of drones. There are still federal regulations, and I think you noted journalism ethics would um, sort of dictate the use of, of, of drones. Yeah, you know, some things I would think it's important for people to know um, of what the FAA requires. So you have to actually, you know, understand their rules and you have mm-hmm. to learn, you have to earn a remote pilot certificate and then register the drone um, with the FAA. You know, here here are some rules that the, the FAA um, has in place. I think it's just really some of them are really interesting, right? So you can only use your drone in certain restricted airspaces without actual permission, and this is understandable, right? We don't want people flying their drones around airports or military bases. So, you know, your, your drone must be flown in certain airspaces. And there are websites where you can go on and figure out what type of airspaces um, exist out there. You can't fly your drone over 400 feet, right? There's a certain, there's a certain uh, zone within the airspace that is designated for drones. So it cannot be flown over 400 feet. It can't be flown at night without authorization. 
you can request a specific authorization from the FAA to fly a drone at night, but otherwise it must be during daylight hours. You can't fly a drone directly over Samadhi unless there's certain conditions that are met. And we won't get into those today, but it's just important to know that, you know, for these safety reasons, um, the FAA does not allow you to fly a drone directly over Samadhi. You can't fly a drone over uh, from a moving vehicle or an aircraft. And the drone must be in the operator's visual line of sight. And then they have a general provision, which, um, you know, is that you can't fly it in a you can't fly a drone in a reckless or careless manner. So, you know, there are a number of, of regulations in place that weren't before. Um, but, you know, I think they're all pretty understandable. These are all there for pretty for pretty good reasons. So, you know, after you study these rules and, and you pass their test, you you can get a certification. And then once you have that certification, you actually have to register your individual drone um, with the FAA and you'll receive a, a certificate that you'll need to put that you need to have in your possession when you're flying your drone. That's interesting. And, and there are so many other types of autonomous transportation out there and the technology is evolving. It seems like this, how, how the courts in Texas resolve the use of drones could have, uh, you know, relevance to how any other kinds of autonomous transportation that could be used in, in news gathering down the road as well. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot that, that could happen, you know, and, and, you know, the, besides the FAA regulations, there are some other things to sort of keep in mind. Um, you know, Texas and some, and a lot of other states, they restrict drones around state parks without, mm-hmm. without certain permits. And there are actually certain areas of state parks that are designated as drone um, flying areas. So look into that if you're looking to fly a drone, you know, out, out, of, out, of, out of state park. Um, but also, you know, you just you need to follow just general laws, right? Like think of things such as trespass and privacy and other, you know, general laws that you also have to um, follow those when you're flying a drone, right? So mm-hmm. be careful um, when you're flying them over private property, especially if you're in low altitudes. And you know, you shouldn't be taking photos of videos of private areas, right? So anywhere is a reasonable expectation of privacy, right? Such as some inside somebody's home or in their workplace or a hotel, uh, you shouldn't be, you know, peeping into them with your drone because that's a privacy violation, whether you're using a drone or, or otherwise. So those are things that you also, you know, need to consider. And then their journalism ethics, right? Journalists have an you know, ethical code that they, you know, should abide by. And um, when you're flying a drone, you should follow those with equal weight. There's no exception for for drone flights. So there are actually a few good resources out there. Um, the Society of Professional Journalists has a code of ethics um, generally, and then the National Press Photographers Association has a code of ethics, and they specifically refer to drone uses. So I, I would recommend any journalist to to reach out to those websites and to sort of see um, the kind of the best advice they have when flying a drone uh, for journalism purposes. Well, Michael, just fascinating topic. Any parting thoughts before we, we sign off today? No, just, you know, watch this space, as Rachel Maddow would say. And, um, <laughs> I, you know, the Fifth Circuit opinion will be interesting and we'll see sort of where things go from here. You know, in addition to drone journalism, you obviously have a lot of um, delivery services and and, uh, and, other, and other corporations like Amazon and Apple that are considering how to use drones. So, um there's a lot still to come. There's a lot of progress that's been made in the past 10 years, but there's really a lot, a lot, a lot that could come from these. And so that'll be, we're all here to watch, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens. 
Great. Thanks, Michael. And you're one of the, the many lawyers in our media and entertainment litigation uh, practice who do a lot of writing and speaking on, on different evolving topics. So please, our listeners, uh, be on the lookout for, for Michael's um, um, articles and, and, and speaking engagements on, on these and other topics. Um, I would also invite listeners to visit the firm's website at hanesboon.com where you'll, where you'll find our media and entertainment litigation practice page which contains links to our Media, Entertainment, and First Amendment newsletter and our Media Minute podcast, uh, which are great repositories of information. Um, thanks so much for listening.